All right, so 1 Peter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 3. Hear God's word to you this morning. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I don't know if you've ever taken a long hike or let's say at least a long journey because some of us aren't great hikers, although I've been on a few. Um, you know how important it is to take periodic breaks on these long hikes in order to get some refreshment, to refuel, to recharge, to so get back up. Okay, now we've got some strength, we've got some energy. Let's keep uh, aiming for the prize, the end of the journey. Uh, well, the good news is we looked in... Uh, as we saw in 1 Peter last week, Peter just told us that as believers in Christ, as if we're trusted in what Jesus did on the cross for us and through his resurrection, that we are therefore, we can know that we're chosen resident aliens. That means that um, we are strangers here on this earth where our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. So right now, we are traveling from this present world to the life of the world to come. Um, glory that Jesus um, has prepared for those who trust in him. And as such, here's the issue. As we are on this pilgrim journey, and we always often sing about, uh, we're, we need refreshment. We need encouragement that only the gospel can give us. Um, and the apostle Peter serves, serves up exactly what the doctor ordered here in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, because we're going to see throughout the book Peter is writing to a people who are suffering. And if you're a believer here and you're listening to these words and you're walking with Jesus at all, you're, you're going to have some recognition in your life of pushback from the world when you go out and you share your faith 
whether it's in word, whether it's in deed, whether it's you're doing good to, to someone and they don't really appreciate that you try to help them, whether it's that you're sharing with them the incredible news of Jesus that when they die, that they can know for sure they're forgiven and there's a place for them, uh, but it's only through Jesus, you're going to get pushback. And Peter's readers got pushback. And so he wants to remind them as they're on this long pilgrim journey, because I know sometimes in some ways this life is short and it feels like it goes by so quick. And other times, especially when you're suffering, it doesn't feel so short, right? A minute feels like it's a long amount of time. So this is what we're going to see in the scripture this morning. We're going to see that the Holy Spirit who spoke through Peter, who moved Peter to write this book, uh, reminds us of three things in particular. Our glorious future. So as we're traveling, he, he draws our attention. Hey, look at the end. The end is glorious. Keep your eyes there. Secondly, he's going to show us, he's going to um, explain to us about our joyful present. What we can take joy in right here, right now. And then last of all, he's going to point something out. He's going to point out our privileged past. So as we are on the pilgrim journey, uh, we look forward and we look to the present and we look in the past. So let's take a look at the first thing. We're going to see that elect exiles, or chosen resident aliens, however you want to put it, have a glorious future. So after Peter has given us this incredible, inspiring introduction in verses 1 to 2 about being chosen, about being um, exiles here uh, with our home citizenship in heaven, uh, it's already, it already was jam-packed with spiritual encouragement, now he formally begins his letter. And how he formally begins his letter is super important. And I think you're going to see that. He starts it with doxology. What's doxology? It's a fancy way of saying by praising and magnifying the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Any real true theology that's based in the gospel, that's based in the cross of Christ, is doxological by by definition. In other words, it, it can't help but elicit praise and thanksgiving and worship. You know, anybody that says they're studying theology and it's dry and it's boring and, and their lives are, are kind of like not, they're not excited about God, then they're studying the wrong theology. They're not, they're not rooted in the gospel of God's grace that's found in Christ. So why does it start with doxology? Because the truth of how good God has been to us and what he's done for us through Jesus naturally leads to this heartfelt praise and adoration. Now look, when we look at the world around us, that's the point Peter's getting at and why we need to hear this. All we're hearing is what? Bad news upon bad news. And I know in my own life, if we're all going to be frank and honest with ourselves, with God, with each other, when we look inside, it could get very discouraging as well as we see besetting sins, we see remaining sin and corruption. Uh, it could be a pretty bleak view, uh, both from outside and inside. And so what can happen is we can get very discouraged. We can get very downhearted. We can wonder as we're on this pilgrim journey, we're sitting on a rock, should we even bother getting up? I've had my days where it's like, do I really want to even get out of bed? Is there anything even to bother rejoicing in? Do I have anything? Well, God's word here in 1 Peter calls us to lift our heads and look, here's the thing, and to look squarely at the facts, not fantasy, 
you know, but act, actual facts for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And here are the facts. I'll read it again. Verse three, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here are the facts. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now look, before I go line by line, and we're going to do that a little bit, so get a little relaxed a little bit, spread out, you know, stretch if you have to. I want to show you one thing that's super important to see, and it's throughout this epistle. Surprise, surprise, I started mentioning it last week because Peter mentioned it. Look at the emphasis on the future. There is an emphasis here that is toward what is to come. And Peter calls it this, a living hope. It's a living hope, and it's into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And he puts it this way. It's kept in heaven for you till when? Until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. In other words, when this world gets tough, and it's gonna, when you feel like a stranger in your own town or maybe in your own family, remember what Peter's saying. You are not home yet. You're not there. You know, some of the biggest mistakes in our society is that we constantly try to make heaven on earth. We think we're going to usher in some kind of utopia. And it doesn't matter how long history is, we don't learn from our mistakes. There are many people who often use their mouths to write checks that their bodies can't cash in this life. Like we'll hear people say, don't worry, it's going to all work out in the end. Or people say, it'll all come out in the wash. But in reality, here's the issue. In reality, depending on the situation, that's not always true. It's like when you go to a funeral, oh, they're in a better place. Well, that's not always true, is it? But here we have words to live by, words to grab onto with all our might because they are, surprise, surprise, true. Because God, who cannot lie, promises us in his word if we are believers in Christ, if we are resident aliens through faith in him. We have an inheritance, listen to this, that can't spoil, it can't fade. It's incorruptible and it's kept in heaven. And I love the way Peter puts this, it's very personal, for you. Not just kept in heaven in some general way for some type of people, but for you if you're trusting in Christ. That's a promise we can take very personally. Because here's the thing, and some of us are getting a little bit older. And whenever I say that, there's always somebody older than you that says, oh, you're not that old yet. Well, I'm feeling it. My body's feeling it. And here's the issue. Bodies wear out. The older I get, I realize, you know, it's so nice with a car. You can always trade it in for a new model. You know, like, you know, when you have, when you have an old car, it's like, oh, I have to hit this first and kind of put your finger on that and, and elbow this in order to get the stupid thing to even start or whatever it is. And you just have to live with it. And you just get so fed up after a while. You say, you know what? I don't care how much it costs. I'm just trading it in for a new one. How many of us do that if we're, if we're able to? Or at least get car payments because we can't take it. Well, with these bodies that God has been good enough to give us to, you can't trade them in. You can't say, I'm sick of this little kink or this thing's worn out or I have no more hair or whatever it is it's going to be. That's it on this side of glory. 
You know what else? Earthly beauty fades. I don't care how beautiful you are, you get old. I mean, you can see how sometimes in Hollywood, some ladies kind of, you know, they think they can stop the hands of time, and you go, ooh, wow, you look better before you had that surgery. You know, it's like, I don't know what you look, yeah, anyway, sorry, I won't get into that. But my whole point is, beauty fades. This side of glory, loved ones die. We lose loved ones. We can fight it all we want, but even the best earthly habitation is going to decay. But here's the good news. What Peter's saying is if you have repented of your sins and if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, what Peter calls in his epistle, obeying the truth. If you've obeyed the truth of the gospel, that your inheritance in him can never perish. It can never spoil. It can never fade. And once we get there, we won't ever have to worry about trading it in. Because it's just as new as it was when we first got it. Just as fresh. The NASB puts it this way, and it just really hit me. Reserved in heaven for you. See, here's the cool thing. You know, when you have to go to a really good restaurant, famous restaurant, especially during this pandemic, and you get there and they say, do you have a reservation? You know, and then your spouse looks at you. You made it, didn't you? And you go, I thought you were. And the next thing you know, sorry. And you kicked out. Well, the good news here is Jesus made a reservation in heaven for you and me. And he made it, signed it in his blood, and it's a guarantee. Oh, interesting. <laughs> now, here's the thing I also want us to see, and Peter wants us to see this too. It's not me. Who cares what I want you to see? What Peter is telling us here, it's not that God doesn't often give us pleasure in this life. Thank God he does, doesn't he? He gives us joy. So he gives us some satisfaction in this life. But the problem comes in, this is what Peter's saying, when we mistake the fleeting, temporal, fading place of earth as our final home. We get far too comfortable and we forget that this, these things on earth pale compared to the glory to come when Jesus returns and ushers in our permanent eternal home. C.S. Lewis um, says this. He says so many great things about the life of the world to come. He says, our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. Ain't that the truth? Now, this is really important. I want us to take a look here at the text to see how God makes this available to believers. You know, how did he give this to us? How, how did we come about so that we have such a great inheritance? And according to verse 3, he tells us here, it's through what? Through his great mercy that he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to see something. If you're born again, which we're going to get into next time about, and the time after that, actually, about what that means fully to be born again here. But if you are born again, if he has made you new, if he's given you a new birth, then why? Why is that? Notice, it's not from your own work. It's not anything good that you could do, but rather through what? His great mercy. Remember what mercy is? It's the flip side of grace. It's not getting what you do deserve. So instead of giving you what you do deserve because of your sins, which is judgment, God in his grace gives you 
forgiveness. He gives you a new life. And it's interesting. I love the way Tim Keller puts this. You can make yourself a Buddhist. You can make yourself um, Islam. What is it? A Muslim. A Muslim. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> or you can make yourself an atheist, but you cannot make yourself a Christian. That's a gift of God's grace where he opens up your eyes and creates in you through the word and his spirit, faith in Christ Jesus. It's a complete gift. Now, here's an important thing. I want to just stop for a second on this. I think uh, some of our biggest problems in Christian living, and maybe sometimes folks think, think they're converted when they're not even converted yet, it, it all stems from the fact that they don't understand uh, how profoundly they have sinned against God and what great, such a great debt that Jesus came to pay for them. And Peter did understand this. And I thought of, you know, there's so many illustrations I could give on this, but I really feel like we need to hear about this and park on it for a second. And all I could think of is when, G when Peter was first called, I thought that would be an appropriate illustration. Um, you know, the whole story where they're fishing all night and the Lord comes and meets Peter first time and he says you know drop your nets on that side of the boat and, G and Peter's like we've been doing that all night we ain't get nothing but because you say it we'll do it and if you remember they do it and they have such a catch they can't even get it onto the boat the boat starts sinking you might not remember Peter's response but I'll never forget it it means a lot to me he said Lord depart from me because I'm a sinful man. That was his response to the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. Because he realized, I'm not worthy to even be in the presence of this man. And he's not just a man. You remember what Jesus said to Peter? You might not be going to see Peter. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. It's not going to be fish. Excuse me. Gospel tells us what Peter is saying is when we worry that how bad our sins are. I think I heard this first from Tim Keller. You are more sinful than you ever met, could imagine. You're, it's worse than you think. But the beauty is you're loved more than you could ever imagine in the gospel. And instead of giving us what we deserve when we're in Christ, we get this incredible free gift of a new birth. And notice what Peter says, into a living hope through the, through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Excuse me. We're seeing, we've been seeing in Peter, we're going to continue to see through 1 Peter, that Jesus was the ultimate elect exile. He already went through suffering on this pilgrim journey, he already went through death, which we haven't yet if we're listening to this, as an exile on this planet. And now he lives to talk about it. How cool is that? We could see somebody who already is at the end of the journey and he's standing. And he dealt with, listen, this is important for Peter's readers to hear and it's important for you and me to hear. He already dealt with rejection from men. He dealt with mocking and ridicule. He, think about it this way. He took the worst that humanity had to offer. 
to the point of death on a cross. And what does he get for it? He reigns in glory right now. <laughs> because after the cross comes the crown. That's the pattern throughout the New Testament, and it's certainly the pattern here in 1 Peter. Jesus has gone ahead of his people from suffering to glory to secure our inheritance. Now listen, brothers and sisters, that's a living hope. That's a hope that never dies. That's a hope that's a true hope. Not the kind of hope that says, man, I hope it doesn't rain today. No, it's a solid living hope. And the interesting thing here is that what God has in store for us, no one can take away. It won't perish, it won't spoil. And here's the thing, what Peter says is really cool. That's what gives us joy right here and right now. So it's not just a glorious future, but it's a joyful present. And notice, um, so that's the second thing we're going to see, a joyful present. And notice what Peter says in verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. In what? Here's what you rejoice in. Jesus lives, and so shall I. That's what we rejoice in, even in our suffering, which he's going to talk about in a moment. We do have the joy of future salvation right here and right now. And I think of the hymn we're going to sing at the end of this message, uh, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I'll love thee in life, and I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever. I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. You hear the hymn writer's joy in this? Are you taking joy in this, that when they lay you to rest and your body is deader than a doornail, you will be with Jesus and you will be able to say, I love you more now than I ever have. Now, this joy in the present and what Peter wants us to see, because this is where sometimes we get confused and troubled. He wants us to see that this joy in the present doesn't exclude us from experiencing grief in all kinds of trials. Just like Jesus experienced grief and trials before his resurrection. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, don't miss this, for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now listen, Peter doesn't give us a fully orbed, exhaustive answer to the question of suffering here. Okay, it's not the, a full answer. But he does give us one of the primary purposes of trials and tribulations, in the lives of God's chosen resident aliens in the world. And here's the thing that we have to often remember when we're suffering grief and all kinds of trials and when we feel far from God. You ever felt far from God? Sometimes we feel when we're suffering and when we're being persecuted that God's abandoned us or that he doesn't care about us or he, he's, he doesn't notice our suffering. And other times, I've seen this again and again and again. We rack our brain trying to figure out, what did I do to bring this upon my head? We're always trying to figure it out. 
And surely there are times we certainly need to learn from foolish mistakes and realize, well, I'm probably paying because I didn't listen. Yeah, those times, obviously, we need to learn the lesson. But in the main, according to God's word here, all kinds of trials come for a very specific purpose. Here's what it says in the text, to purify and to prove your faith. That's why they come. And notice, this is really, really powerful. To God, listen, I think you would want to know what, what's important to God. To God, our faith is more precious than the most valuable, one of the most valuable elements this world has to offer. And what's that? Gold. God says, gold, I'm going to make that into streets so you can step on it and drive on it, wherever we're going to be doing on it. But it ain't nothing but dirt in heaven. Your faith, now that's something that's worth something that's going to last into eternity. See, gold, you can make, you can go so hot with gold that you can, you can destroy it. And the cool thing about faith is the hotter it gets, the stronger it gets. Listen, this is something I learned years ago. I learned it intellectually. I'm still learning it in practice. We want God to change our circumstances, but God wants our circumstances to change us. Mm. That's the truth, ain't it? Mm. Someone once said, every flower that's ever blossomed had to go through a lot of dirt to get there. <laughs> well, Valentine's Day, remember that. Here's what he says. He says it's that our faith is worth refining and proving so that what? It may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now we're back to the future again, aren't we? Pete can't let go of the future. That means neither should you, neither should me. Should I? Excuse me. It's woven throughout the whole fabric of this letter. Next time, uh, surprise, surprise, we'll be talking about it again because he brings it up again. Now there's this hymn by uh, Henry Francis Light. And man, it is very old English, but I'm, I'm going to say it slow because it really, really captures what Peter's saying here. And it encouraged me to hear it. Listen. As woods when shaken by the breeze... Take deeper, firmer root. As winter's frosts but make the trees abound in summer's fruit. So every heaven-sent pang and throw, the Christian firmness tries. And I love this right here. But nerves us for our work below and forms us for the skies. Isn't that awesome? God wants that for you. He wants that for me as weary pilgrims. And notice what he said earlier. It's our faith that shields us through God's power. Later he says, it's through faith that we love Jesus and believe in him even though we don't see him and we're filled with what? An inexpressible joy. That's the power of faith. And that's why it's so important that God is he cares so much about you and that you would have a genuine, strong faith that he's going to put you through it so that when you come forth, your faith's going to stand the test. You're going to make it to the end. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him this morning? 
even though you don't see it. Going back to God's great mercy. This one, I almost forgot, but now it reminds me. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, made these comments. I'll never forget them. The day I go to see Jesus, he said the healthy might give the doctor a good word, but only the sick know how to prize it. We love him because he loved us first. And then he says in verse 9, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as we walk with Jesus on this pilgrim journey, we take great encouragement and joy in salvation to come, keep our eyes forward on the prize. We take joy in salvation begun here and now. We are receiving this salvation. We're between the now and not yet. We have the foretaste of it. We have the guarantee of it, but we don't have the full possession of it. And last of all, Time, because of time, uh, we're going to see elect exiles have a privileged past. I'm only going to spend a few moments on this. A very rich passage, which certainly um, you could preach a whole sermon on this. And um, those of us who preach regularly, uh, these, are, these few verses are a goldmine. Uh, Christ, Christocentric, Christ-centered preaching. He says this, as we look at our privileged past, Past. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, that's the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then this, this incredible, intriguing last line, even angels long to look into these things. So what Peter does to round up this one long sentence is to bring our attention to the past. And he says this, concerning this salvation that we're receiving that we will fully get when Jesus comes, the prophets who foretold it found out, now listen, this is profound, that their prophecies concerning the Christ to come about his sufferings and his glory was not for them, but for us. In other words, let me put it another way, you're a privileged people. That's what Peter's saying. Again, why do they need to hear this? Because in the world, we don't feel real privileged. We feel beat down. We feel like a minority. And we feel reviled from the far right, the far left, and sometimes in the middle, we get hit from all angles because we hold to the gospel. Now, let me just slow it down for a second. Who are the prophets? The prophets are these incredible people that, that are our heroes that we, when we read in the scriptures, we wish we could be like them. At least some of us do. You got Moses, David, Isaiah. That's what we're talking Let's put some names, faces. To who, what Peter's talking about. They all spoke, what Peter's saying, this is profound. The Old Testament, they all spoke of the unmerited favor of God that was to come to us. They spoke about the grace of God. A lot of times they look at the Old Testament like it's just about law. Uh-uh. They spoke about the gospel. And notice they searched, it says here in the text, intently with the greatest of care 
trying to find out the time and the circumstances of, of the Christ and what, what he would, who he would be and what he would do and when it would happen. And here's the thing. They, they um, searched intently with greatest of care and we leave our Bibles on the shelf. And we can't spend the time of day to do a little study in God's word, to dig out the riches of the grace that has been revealed to you and to me. And the other thing that hits me is angels long to look into it. The mighty heavenly beings, messengers of God, long to look into the mysteries of the gospel. Because notice, that's what Peter's talking about, the gospel. When they predicted what? The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So what are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus' passion and his death for our sins. And we're talking about the glories that follow, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his session at the right hand of God the Father. That's what's spoken of, surprise, surprise, in the Old Testament. Wow. That kind of opens up your mind and your eyes. To, so as we go back to preaching through Exodus, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, artificially trying to find Jesus where he isn't. He's there. He's there, brothers and sisters. And it's encouraging as we read the Old Testament prophets. But now we have the New Testament and the apostles and their missionaries who speak the gospel. Um, as some of these uh, folks who Peter was writing to, they heard it from them. We hear it from firsthand eyewitness. So what's the conclusion of all this? Why Peter's bringing this up, that you have a privileged position? We need to remember that when we're feeling insignificant in a world that hates Jesus and hates his followers. We need to remember that when we're called old-fashioned or outdated or narrow-minded or fanatical because we take a stand with the crucified, risen Jesus. Even though we live in a crooked and depraved generation. One commentator puts it this way. Whatever our situation, whether discouraged or feeling insignificant and marginalized, we are at the very center of God's eternal purposes and we can look forward to sharing Christ's glories. The point of this whole thing is to keep that in mind. Not just on Sundays, not just when we gather together to refuel, but as we're walking on the pilgrim journey, as we're going through life by faith, as we're experiencing great pushback, keep in mind, you are privileged, you are loved, you have a glorious future, you have something to rejoice in, even when around you there's nothing, looks like there's nothing to rejoice in. Why? Because of God's great mercy. And I do want to encourage you, if you haven't started the journey yet, this is the time to obey the gospel. That is to trust fully in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive you of your sins and to give you a new life that only he can give. Because Jesus is the ultimate pilgrim of great progress. He left his home to be in exile in this fallen place, to suffer and die and to secure for us an eternal home. Now's the time to trust in him and to become a fellow pilgrim with us who also by grace and only mercy have been included in with the crucified. We're called to identify with him in his sufferings and he will identify with us in his glory. 
Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. We're not home yet. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful long sentence that has so much packed in it. Thank you for drawing our eyes forward to the prize, the glories to come that Jesus won for us in his death and especially through his resurrection, that great hope we have, the living hope. We thank you that even now we have joy in our sufferings because we have that to look forward to no matter what happens in the sight of glory. And we thank you that we have a privileged past. All the prophets of old foretold the suffering and the glories of Jesus. The good news that we now take our stand on, that we trust in him with all our hearts and continue to feast on. Lord, be with your people as we live in a world that so desperately needs you. We know that we're sinful, we're not perfect. And yet we know that in your mercy, you've chosen to use us to point others, to point to others the way, which is not us. We're not the heroes of the story. Jesus is. Lord, bring him the glory even through our meager uh, lives. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.